This is David Nage with my co-host Amanda Frankel. This is Baselayer, where institutional investors learn about crypto. Welcome back to Baselayer. This is David. Your new episode has Jeremy Welch, the founder of Casa. We talked a lot about why Jeremy built Casa, how he started back in the uh, later parts of 2000, 2007, 2008 during the financial crisis. Left Duke, went to New York, did a few startups, saw a lot of the things that happened with advertising and with the internet, and then how through the periods working with Google and other developments, he started taking a notice of Bitcoin and really built Casa out of the need to provide friends and family a sense of security, but more importantly, simplified security. A lot of these tools initially have not been very easy to use, and if you've seen Casa, if you have a node, you'll notice that it's really easy to use. So we talked about that. We talked about some of the things that he's learned over the years in terms of formalism and a lot about the the history of revolutions and how that's really formulated a lot of his thinking. We did some of the uh, Signal to Noise episode. Uh, we found some interesting things to talk about there. And we talked about Lightning and uh, the LN Trust Chain and how amazing that was overall. And then we also talk, form, uh, lastly, about some of the things he's listening to and reading. And Jeremy takes the cake for being the first person on Layer to talk about listening to metal. So I really appreciated that. Again, remember, nothing on Layer is investment advice. So please do your own research. On the flip side, you'll hear from our sponsor. And then you'll hear the show with Jeremy. Enjoy. Today's family offices and hedge funds face a number of challenges when it comes to trading and managing their crypto portfolios. On the trading front, siloed liquidity, opaque execution, and questionable compliance deter entry. On the management front, spreadsheet and manual workflows are still the de facto solution. These infrastructure and usability problems, which have been long solved in traditional finance, still need to be addressed in crypto. Lumina has set out to solve this problem. To find out more about Lumina, please go to lumina.app. This is David, and this is your new episode of Layer. We have Jeremy Welch, the founder of Casa. If you don't know what Casa is and you're in crypto, I highly recommend getting out of bed, drinking lots of coffee, and shaking your head and slapping yourself because I don't know how you don't know Casa. But those that don't know Casa, this is one of the companies that I'm really, really excited about. They have been shipping their product. It is a node. I'm looking at mine right now. It, it is amazing. It's easy to use. You plug and play, and then all of a sudden you are running a Bitcoin node and a Lightning node. And then you could start playing with it. We're going to talk to Jeremy about all that. But I want to give Jeremy just a few minutes to initially kind of talk about what Casa is and what it does and why he built it. And then we're going to have lots of questions to go into. So, Jeremy, it's all yours. Awesome. Very kind words, David. Thank you. Um, so my name, again, is, uh, is Jeremy Welch. I'm the, the founder CEO of Casa Inc. That's Casa just like the home. And um, what we what we do is... Um, <clears throat> Kind of, uh, I'll say the simplest explanation is wealth security. We build software services around wealth security. Um, now, a layer below that, um, we are specifically focused right now 
around security for Bitcoin, and that's uh, security for Bitcoin for individuals and for small teams. We don't work with you know, very large corporations or institutions. There are other companies that are friends of ours that do great work there. We are focused on the individual <clears throat> and then on small teams, some small investment funds, um, family offices, families, that kind of thing. Um, uh, if we are focused on Bitcoin right now, that will extend into more data. Um, and then I'll, I'll give one kind of lower layer than that, uh, a third layer, which is that there is this kind of wave of technology that's now coming of which Bitcoin is a piece um, that we call sovereignty technology, right? And it's about personal sovereignty, kind of personal control over your data, over your wealth, um, and uh, you know what we're building in, in that lens of wealth security is we're building sovereignty tools uh, that would allow you to run your own infrastructure, or at least you know have more control over your wealth and your data. And in an age of you know it, it, the term surveillance capitalism has become popular um, for kind of how things work with. Um, you know, uh, these advertising companies like Facebook and Google and all these companies, they basically spy on you. Um, we're enabling tools to allow you to kind of take control of your data and prevent that spying and, you know, run encryption. Um, but again, if you're, if you're an individual, family office, small firm, you want more control um, and uh, then, then we, can, we can help you. We have tools and we have services around that. It's a great point because one of the things that I talk to, uh, to my fellow peers in the family office world is this notion of if you're using Gmail or if you're using Google Maps or if you're using any host of things, especially from Google or Yahoo, it's free. But at the end of the day, when it's free, that means that you're the product. And Correct. so they know lots of information about you. Um, and that could be kind of a scary thing. And so, you know, I definitely appreciate that. And I also kind of heard the hint of the not your keys, not your Bitcoin mantra yeah, narrative. Yeah. And so we'll talk more about that and what that means. But diving into your history, so you were at Duke and then you left to go to New York City to do some startups and you'd left during a really interesting time. It was the financial crisis around that period of time. Yeah. yeah. So what did you learn about startups, about kind of technology? What were your key takeaways at that point in time? Because for a lot of people who kind of have just gotten into this world recently over the last five or 10 years, there was a lot of kind of uh, some nasty things that happened, you know, a few years before, you know, 2010. Totally. And so I'd love to hear kind of what your takeaways were. What did you do? Uh, why did you leave Duke? And then I think you went back. So I want to hear more about the history there. Sure, sure, sure. So um, I am a blue devil, not, not too, uh, Hard, hard to discuss during uh, final four time. And we I'm just, sorry. <laughs> I should have I, I should have remembered not to bring oh, that no. up. <laughs> it's great. I you know I love Duke and uh, Zion has been amazing. The whole basketball team, the whole basketball thing. But there's a great network of people around Duke, and you know it's just it's a it's a great community. So I, I went there. I studied political philosophy. Um, I left uh, into my junior year, and I had started working on a startup when I was in my sophomore year. It's kind of caught the bug. Uh, this was in 2007, 2008. Uh, it was before uh, Peter Thiel had his, you know, dropout. Uh, saying it was before dropouts were kind of becoming a thing. And I, but what you know, what happened for me is that I, <clears throat> I did a summer internship and I had a few other experiences. It just led me to to really understand that I, I wanted to, to dig in and, and build startups and I wanted to find a, a big problem. Um, and I ended up uh, leaving school and joining this company called Invite Media that was in New York City. Um, they were an, an advertising technology company, and this was right around the financial crisis. That wasn't, you know, of course, intentional or anything. It just happened to be that I was in New York City, um, 2008, um, parts of 2007, 2008, and then I moved up full time. And 
Um, and and at, in Right Media, we invented what's called a demand side platform, a DSP. Uh, for people in the advertising world, a lot of people in the advertising world will know what that is. Uh, but for people that are not in the advertising world, especially those that are kind of more in the financial world, you can think of it like a Bloomberg terminal for ads. Um, it allows you to do research on different types of data and advertising paths and create these schemes and buy advertising uh, and do it in a, in a very rapid way. Um, so you can do it in an almost instantaneous, you know, two clicks and you've bought your advertising and it's already running. Um, and so we built that product and then Google bought us in 2010 and I joined Google. I was there for a year and I ran, um, you know, I, I, I shifted from being a kind of forward deployed engineer, uh, doing engineering work and setting up clients and working with clients directly on their integrations and these large advertising agencies into being a little bit more of a product role around data. And I actually ran what, you know, another, another term in the advertising industry, uh, has, has, I guess has become DMP or, um, uh, data management platform. And uh, we also had kind of one of the first uh, data management platforms because our clients use that. And I ran all the relationships with a lot of those data companies. And uh, I got a big, you know, you're asking what my lessons were from that time. There were, there was a host of lessons just around the building a startup that it was a, a tremendous time, very rapid pace. We went from about uh, seven or eight people up to about 45 and about a year, year and a half. Um, we, you know, we, we grew revenue tremendously, we grew relationships tremendously, and then we got bought by Google. And so that was an insane experience. And I kind of, um, just learned a ton under the CEO and the, the, the founders, I was not a founder of this company, but, um, Nat and Zach, uh, Nat Turner and Zach Weinberg, they have subsequently gone on to build a, a company called Flatiron, which they just sold last year for about $2 wow. billion, um, in the healthcare and cancer research industry. Yeah. Um, and so it was a, you know, still, still in touch with some of those guys and I have just learned a tremendous amount about just building a company from them. Uh, but also learned during that time that the entire internet is really based around advertising, right? Um, I never really thought of Google or Yahoo or uh, AOL being an advertising company, but the entire business model of these companies is based around advertising. And, um, you know, I, I was even dealing directly in data and, and understood how much data was collected around customers and um, you know how that was traded, how that was used by advertisers. None of it was malicious, but the amount of data, even even you know even these ad blockers. A lot of people don't know this, but even a lot of the ad blockers that you would download would do special deals with Google and with some other companies to allow certain ads through. So they would block like 95% of ads. But then they would do deals with certain companies to allow those companies' ads to come through, right? So there was a, it was just a tremendous time of learning around how the internet worked. Um, and I grew up, I was a technologist early on. I worked at an ISP and I was programming early, um, but just uh, learned a lot there. And then the final thing that I'll mention is that I, I learned a lot about the financial system. And I was, I had some questions there. I had friends that were investment bankers and you know, this was during a, a period of crisis. And so I was asking lots of questions uh, informally around my friends that were in the industry and uh, working for Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs and all these other uh, uh, great companies and 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 learned just a tremendous amount about they had open questions. They didn't know what was totally going on, right? And it, and it really just drove into me a an idea that, you know, that, that, that the global financial system, as big as it had grown, um, that there were still a lot of ways that the even the leaders of the space were just kind of creating 
the path forward at any one time and that they didn't know exactly what was going on or where things would land. And, and that, um, that just left me with an impression of like wanting to learn more, wanting to figure out more, wanting to dig more into the history of finance. And so after that period, I went back to Duke and I did, I, you know, I finished uh, studying uh, political philosophy, but I did a lot of independent studies. And it was around that time, uh, 2013, uh, into 2012 or into 2012, 2013, 2014, that I um, found out about Bitcoin. Uh, you know, dove, dove head head first, and and just you know, it clicked on so many different levels. Because here I am thinking about the detail of the internet, how the internet works, how architecture works, how data collection works, how peer to peer networks, and how uh, you know, large centralized networks, how all of that works. I'm already from the the tech side, and then I'm also looking at the financial side. And I learn about Bitcoin and it just, it, all of it clicks, right? So got, you know, really big into it. Then we ran a, a conference at Duke uh, around 2014 with uh, one of the, Matt Carollo, who's a, a core developer. Um, and we got a bunch of Duke uh, and UNC students uh, in, in learning about Bitcoin. A bunch of those have subsequently gone off to Coinbase and uh, many other companies in the space. And uh, just, just uh, very excited about the space and, um, and then from there, that kind of led a few years later, uh, as I was building more companies, to what became Casa, because we saw a big need for building better security tools, better usability, uh, and that you know that really came into what Casa is. And I think that this is the kind of biggest technology wave easily of our lifetimes. Right. And so, on the show, we've been talking to guests about. Everyone talks about the origin story. And so when did you find about Bitcoin? You know, what did you, what were your thoughts about it? But the more why and expect, what I really want to dig into is what specifically about Bitcoin, you know, the Bitcoin blockchain, about Satoshi's paper, what about, you know, the kind of cryptographic technology stack within there really said to you, this is the next revolution. What specifically about it? What tool sets, what capabilities at that point in time said, okay, this is where I'm going to spend the rest of my professional career. Sure, sure. So I, I, I think that there's a few layers there. Um, the first one I would just say was a little bit of a, you know, it, it became a little bit of a disappointment in learning how the internet was really being funded at the time. Um, this, you know, this thing has such a great impact on all of our lives and uh, has connected people all over the world um, is being fueled and is being grown by uh, advertising. And I, I, I had been thinking about, you know, alternative means or how you structure a company, how you set up a uh, revenue model, um, just around building internet products generally already. So I'll, I'll say that one of the big things that jumped out uh, to me about Bitcoin is that it's open source. Um, anybody can read it and anybody can look at the rules and understand the rules um, you don't even have to have a full technical background to read through some of the stuff. And especially the Bitcoin white paper is very accessible. And I encourage everyone to go read that. Um, but just reading just kind of how the system was built, uh, most of the biggest revolutions in the world were pretty simple whenever you actually started to dig through the basics. Now, when you get into the details, of course, there's a lot more. Um, but, you know, at a core level, it should be a relatively simple idea, a relatively, you know, elegant kind of simple solution to a problem. Uh, and then the layers that come out of that become more complex. And that's, and Bitcoin has that, right? Um, it's easy to access. Um, and, you know, with everybody running a copy 
what that means is, is that you get this instantaneous, this ability to kind of instantaneously detect when there's a problem. Um, so, you know, if I'm running my copy of Bitcoin and, and miners start generating some blocks that don't fit, I'm going to instantaneously know. Um, and there were, there are just features about the network and the way it's architected that, uh, that really, really create a new way to interact with a, with a financial system. Um, you know, we, everybody hangs on, we actually had John Hilsenrath from, uh, Wall Street Journal actually came to our conference and was kind of the 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 contrarian uh, kind of uh, negative Bitcoin voice during this conference we put on back in 2014. And he's he's been called like the you know the voice of the Fed before because he 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 spends a lot of time with the Federal Reserve Bank and in and, and um, reporting on every every single Fed meeting uh, quarterly um, and anything in between. To kind of interpret and explain what's going on with Federal Reserve policy, and so I had a lens into that too. And I'm looking then at Bitcoin, and understanding that you don't, you don't. This entire there are entire waves of infrastructure that we don't even need anymore because the instant there's going to be a change or there's even discussion of a change, it's happening on these open channels, and anybody can watch. And that's just it's it's again it's a, it it just creates this more open system. Um, and then from my studies in philosophy. There's there's what's called uh, formalism, um, which is that you have you have a system. Anytime you have a system to where the rules are more clear, that has long-term benefits in terms of the ability for players in that system or individual elements in that system to predict what other people are going to do and then to coordinate. So your your costs in in game theory, your the cost of coordination goes down when you have formal rules that are easily understood by the players in the system. And I would just say that Bitcoin is kind of the ultimate in a formal financial system or a formal rules financial system because you have this ability to look at the rules anytime and everybody runs their own copy and all of these copies connect to each other. We all communicate and the just the coordination costs lowers. And so I, I think that there, we're gonna see a lot more come out of this that, that, you know, that we've never seen before. And it really is a revolution because of that fact um, and whether it's a you know a much more kind of longer term view in terms of um, uh, in terms of planning, um, and I'm not even touching on the, the kind of underlying fundamentals of Bitcoin, including the 21 million cap, and you know how how a deflationary system could affect uh, the economy. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there, but I look at it from a first, I would say, from a just computer science and systems theory view, and understanding Bitcoin as one. This formal system that is very clear, very open, anyone can access. The barriers have now been lowered, and that's going to bring you know more financial access globally to anyone in the world. And then secondary as a as a you know just a system generally, it, it's very resilient. So Bitcoin has been running for ten years and has you know ninety nine point nine 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 eight percent uptime, I believe. So that's you know it's been it's been running for those ten years, um, a really more so than any other system in the world with zero downtime. And so just from that perspective, it's very strong and it's very resilient. And so people will inevitably build around that. And then what the, what, you know, the details of the rules of what those rules are, uh, there's a lot of discussion on how that's gonna play out, but I, I see that as almost secondary to the fact that it's just an extremely resilient system. And it also is this open rule set that anybody can see and then can build around. So 
I agree uh, with it being open source. And I think what we started to see in the later 90s and early 2000s with the ability for companies and for founders to start being able to build websites without having to be necessarily developers and having technical expertise really started to open up a lot of different channels and a lot of different opportunities. And so yes. things like you know Wix and a lot of the other kind of plug and play apparatus to actually build your website, have a e-commerce site, et cetera, et cetera, that really obviously changed a lot of things very quickly. And so I'm curious, I just wanted to get a little bit more in terms of it being open source and being able to see the rules and being able to participate. Obviously there's a cost and there need to have some sort of technical expertise at this point. Obviously with CASA, you're, you're changing the game there. Um, do you believe initially that it was very inclusive or do you think that there was a lack of inclusion? You needed to have some, some of these things. You needed to have energy. You needed to obviously have, you know, compute. You needed to have, you know, obviously some technical expertise to set up a rig to be able to, you know, participate in mine Bitcoin. Do you think we'll get to a point where those barriers to entry will become less and less, where it becomes more user-friendly, like we saw in the uh, the kind of middle part of the internet? 100%. 100%. So I, I would position it like this. You know, we, we did see in the early days of Bitcoin, it is mostly, um, you know, uh, really deeply technical people that saw it first, were on some of these forums, were technical enough to understand it and start interacting with it. That is true. But the one thing that I'll highlight about that that's really important is that you could be someone from anywhere in the world. There wasn't a barrier based on which school you went to, which institution you came from, which company you were working for to get access to that information. It was just out on the internet. And that's really important. Even though there was a technical barrier, um, it is really important that anyone in the world could participate, no matter which country they're in, no matter which regime, whether it's a uh, you know, one one of the kind of larger economies in the world, or one of the smaller economies in the world. Um, as long as you were kind of of that technical level, you could access it, and that's important. Um, and so, the, the the next kind of question or thing that you're kind of getting at is around broader, I think, broader adoption and really understanding how to access Bitcoin. And you know, I would liken it to we also saw in the early days of the internet. We saw first, you know, we saw AOL cropping up, but we also saw a lot of economic activity around smaller players, um, smaller ISPs, um, smaller website builders, that it was kind of like, again, and if, if, if you're smart enough and if you can kind of put together the, the small team, then you can build tools for this anywhere in the world. And we're seeing that, right? So we're seeing this wave of uh, people that you know, didn't come from Google or the top you know, tech company or the top tech technical university that are building tools for Bitcoin that people are using globally. And the barriers are really open and accessible, and that's great. Um, and then these tools are, are growing and are being used by everyone. Um, and then we will get to another layer to where, you know, the, the usability has gotten to a place to where really anybody can, can onboard themselves and start using Bitcoin, uh, but also anyone can build on Bitcoin. We'll, I, I believe we'll see better developer tools and easier, lighter weight developer tools to where people can even build new things with Bitcoin and with uh, even lightning this, you know, the faster payments layer on top of Bitcoin. Um, and so we'll go through a series of these waves. I think right now we are at this 
kind of middle tier to where we are seeing a lot of new usability tools, but we're it's still going to take a few years before it's you know e e even your 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 parents and you know non really non technical people can can jump on board. But our role at Casa, what we are doing is we're specifically driving towards that new world to where anyone can access it. And we believe strongly in this idea of not your keys, not your Bitcoin. If you're not holding your keys, um, you know, you're not really controlling your Bitcoin. Um, and it's, 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 you have, we have to improve the usability around key management, which we've done. We have a product called Key Master that, that enables, you know, much better key management. And we've also improved the usability around running your own node with the Casa node. Um, and so we're working on, you know, version two of the Casa node and more and more features. And we just recently announced that that we're, we're opening up uh, the Keymaster app. It used to be only um, you know, at a premium level for family offices and high net worth individuals. We've now announced other user tiers so we can bring that to a wider audience. And we've announced even more features for the, the uh, kind of family office level and, um, and high net worth level and the ability to, to have multiple parties that all have keys that can you know, work uh, and, and sign with those keys and coordinate around signatures to create transactions, um, emergency lockdown procedures, and a lot of security features. Uh, there's just a lot. There's a lot we're building right. there. But you know, at our core, what we describe it as is you have to, it's, this is a really tough problem to solve because you have to have you know, several disciplines. You have to be really top in the world. And uh, we look at three areas. One, you know, secure engineering. You got to have that. Um, two, um, you know, really excellent uh, design. So simple to use, a kind of best design in the world. And we have some of the best designers in the world. And then uh, the last one, which has been lacking in the crypto space is customer service. So we aspire to have a almost like an American Express level or a private banking level of uh, customer service paired in with our, you know, our, our excellent secure tools and the design that goes with those. Um, and to really create this experience that's, again, much more accessible. Right. I think now is a good time to kind of dig into what exactly CASA is. And so we had Matt Walsh on a few, about two months ago, he was talking about key management. So anyone who wants to learn more about key management can listen to that. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, effectively at the core, um, I know that you built CASA with security in mind and with protecting assets. And so why don't you, you know, for family offices, it's really interesting. The last few out, you know, the last few days, and I'm sure you can attest to this. The last few days, we saw obviously a massive move up in Bitcoin, um, you know, up almost to five thousand dollars of Bitcoin. And there's been notes out there that there was a very large order of about a hundred million dollars that was spread across three different exchanges. Um, and so, someone out there in the universe obviously felt very, very good about Bitcoin and wanted to yeah, get in yeah. now. Um, whether that was a family office or a sovereign wealth fund or someone out there, we don't know. Um, but obviously, you know, we started to see some fairly, you know, kind of pretty big tickets on, on yes. purchasing of Bitcoin. And so what at the core is CASA? Why did you build it? And over the last, you know, say a year and a half or two years, where did it start and what is it doing now and what's it going to do next year? Sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting few days with this this pop in the price and the big order. And I, and I will say, though, that we're not even with the kind of more public perception shift. We see a lot of OTC uh, trades, a lot of private trades that are happening that are sizable. And I would even say are, are in the exact same caliber of size, but that aren't affecting the price. 
Um, and so the activity is definitely there. It's there amongst family offices and individuals. It's there amongst institutions even are really thinking heavily about this and how they can have their play. And there are, again, some kind of great companies being built around this side and around you know dealing with, with corporations specifically and their specific requirements. Uh, but just across the board, we're definitely seeing uh, really strong interest. And, and, you know, we saw the run up to around uh, 19,000, 20,000 a couple years ago. And we had started, so we, we were building in this space and we had started building actually kind of an application around this space. And then we just very clearly, we had needs ourselves. Um, and we were concerned about our friends and how they were managing their keys and managing their funds and their security. And so we saw a need to start building simplified security tools um, and simplified computing tools built around, uh, you know, built around Bitcoin. And so this started several years ago. Um, it was right around the time of the run-up, and that just heightened things a lot. Uh, but we built, we actually first built a, a node device uh, that was running Bitcoin, it was running Litecoin, it was running uh, Blockstack, which is another company that we've kind of partnered with. Um, but it was running several of these things, and and the idea is that that would run in your home and then you would be able to interact directly with that or it would run in your office and you would be able to interact directly with that server. It's like a little server that just runs in your home um, or your office. And we, after we built that first version, we realized that key management was this big issue. We saw a lot of people having questions around how to properly do it, both again, kind of uh, you know family offices and individuals. And so we decided, decided to shift and focus only on that first and build a basic layer just around key management. And that product took off. We announced that um, uh, and uh, that, that took off. This was around last March, uh, last February, last March is when we announced that publicly. And um, we brought on you know, a tremendous number of people since then. Jameson Lopp is our CTO. Elena Vernova, who is a, uh, she actually invented the hardware wallet, their company Trezor, they, they created the very first uh, hardware wallet, which is a device that allows you to do signings and do signatures and manage keys directly on a little, it's, it feels like a little USB stick. Um, and she, uh, they created that her and her small team and then you know grew into this, this large company. And um, she's been around longer than, uh, than almost any of us. I mean, she was in the space in 2010 and uh, in, uh, in the Czech Republic and she's joined our team as head of strategy and um, so we've, we've developed a, a tremendous team uh, and we built this product. We were onboarding customers around key management, enabling them to manage their own funds. And then we shifted back. Once we had that base layer, we shifted back towards building this dedicated device, uh, this dedicated computing device. And we launched a new version of that called the Casa Node. And that is built for Bitcoin and Lightning. And that enables you to run Bitcoin and Lightning. Um, you can run that inside your office or inside your home. And... Lightning is this new payments uh, network. So you can think of Bitcoin almost as it is the hard base layer. Bitcoin is kind of like digital gold, um, but it can be very hard to use. Um, and Bitcoin has, uh, uh, it has wait times in terms of sending transactions that can be you know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, even an hour in terms of fully confirming a transaction. So from that perspective, it's more like almost like sending a wire, right? It's like sending a bank wire. It's a little slower. So then you have Lightning, which is now being developed, which is a little bit more like PayPal or Venmo. And um, it is much faster. It is almost instantaneous. and But it still has the security of Bitcoin. It's built on top of Bitcoin. 
And so we built this device, the singular device. You can buy the device, and every one of our clients, uh, you know, gets one of these. Um, the uh, you can buy the device, and you can run that, and it runs Bitcoin and Lightning, and you can execute Lightning transactions, you can execute Bitcoin transactions. Um, and so we're really trying to build this kind of full stack of a financial infrastructure that you can run and operate yourself. And we provide the service around that to make sure that if there are problems that we answer those quick, you know, answer your issues quickly. Um, but you're really able to run this, you know, your, your, your kind of your own infrastructure. And um, that's going to become really powerful in the next few years. So we're still in the early days, but we're building more and more integrations between the key management product and the node product. Um, we are working on version two of the node. Uh, we have more and more features around, you know, teams, family offices, and uh, we're releasing those. There's a lot that's coming right. this year. And we're now serving, we now have um, clients all over the world, um, over 60 countries. Um, and uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, the team has grown tremendously. Everything is, we're, we're really excited. And, and it's, we're, we're, we, it's been nice. It's actually been kind of nice. A lot of people have complained about the bear market. But for us, it was actually kind of nice because we were able to really dig in and build uh, great technology uh, without the distraction of these major price fluctuations or a very high price. And now that we may be getting a turn back in that direction, um, you know, we're we're ready, we're prepared, and a lot of our clients are excited because they got their security set up before this kind of bull rally returns. And if it's mm -hmm. if this is the return or if the return happens soon. Um, again, their security is in place. Right. And so we're just excited to continue building, continue onboarding more people and making sure more people are secure uh, you know, with their holdings. All right. It's been widely discussed on this show and others and through social that we obviously had crypto winter for the last 14, 15, 16 months, whatever you want to call it. Um, and what was really interesting about Jeremy's company, Casa, is that they were actually shipping product. And, you know, this is, you know, <laughs> you know, a lot of people were saying, okay, it's over, the party's over, everyone had some fun, you know, this is just, you know, everyone, Jamie Diamond was right, this is a scam, and uh, let's just call it a day, but Jeremy's company was shipping product and shipping their nodes through the thick of it, and that was really telling to me, so, you know. Yeah, we, personal, we doubled down, we definitely doubled, right. we, we thought, we were like, man, this is a breather, we got to get on this, this is great news, because we can move in faster, and I will tell you the other thing that probably emboldened us is we saw, even though publicly, a lot of conversations were like, well, is this really the end? Is this, you know, all the conversations that we saw privately, directly with clients, directly with family offices, directly with firms, they were all positive. Right. Behind the scenes, most players were really making moves. Um, and so we were, we were, again, we were doubling down, but that's 100% right. I have some, you know, kind of intimate background in financial technology and, you know, one of the companies, you know, in terms of Bloomberg. So when the market really went to hell in a handbag in 2008, 2009, 2010, volumes came down, institutions started to kind of have problems because, you know, everyone, you know, there was obviously a lack of capital. But at the same time, during that time period, they continued to add product. They were adding portfolio functions and lots of other different things. And they really, to your point, they doubled down. They said, this is not going to last. This is, you know, a blip. And what better time when everyone is running for the the door to build because effectively you can either add technology, you can add pieces, you can kind of 
add lots of different things for cheaper because everyone is now a net seller. And so it's a great time to actually start building and because everyone is, you know, trying to, you know, basically free themselves up. And so that was really interesting. And on a personal level, you know, using the, the cost of node, um, again, for anyone who wants to take a look at that, I definitely recommend reaching out to Jeremy and his team. You know, there's this notion and this narrative that you kind of hit on is being your own bank. And so when you open this thing up, you set it up on your on your computer, um, you start to see things like you have now a Bitcoin node that you're running and a Lightning node. And then you can set up these things called channels where you can you know, basically reach out to a friend that might also have one, a Lightning node. And you could start setting up payment channels. You can use things, uh, something called Tippin, um, where you could start sending Satoshis. Lots of interesting things happen when you open this thing up. And so there's this narrative of being your own bank. And I also, you know, in addition to what Casa is doing, the whole world of DeFi, what's happening outside of Bitcoin and Lightning, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the different things like Dharma and Compound and BlockFi, leveraging your you know, specific crypto, and then obviously then, you know, setting up loans and things of that nature. There is this whole thing that's happened over the last six to eight months where, you know, this world is becoming, you know, open finance. And I think Casa right. is a very large part of that. So I'd like you to maybe, you know, talk about what is this notion of being your own bank? Do you think a Casa is, is an integral part of that? And what do you think that, you know, the future of that kind of entails? Sure. Um, so that's that's a great summary. First off, there's I mean there's so much action and so many uh, moving parts in this space, and that's a great summary of a, of several of the different moves here and um, and narratives. And I I would say that you know a lot of even the DeFi work, or a lot of the and, and another another term around that has become like programmable money. Um, a lot of that will be accessible based on your own device locally in your office. Um, what we're going to see, we we talk about this being actually not just a financial revolution, but actually a computing revolution. And, uh, you know, way back in the 60s and the 70s, we had the early days of the, com the, the computer of, of, of uh, mainframe computing, these massive computers that were only inside of corporations and only the corporations ran them and they only ran them locally. And then we saw this wave of Apple and Microsoft and IBM building local devices that people could take to their homes and they could use in their homes and they use them for word processing, they use them for gaming, they use them for, started using them for you know communication. And then that eventually led to this next wave of, of these massive companies like Google and Facebook and um, the, you know, the kind of wave of cloud computing. And we think we're, we're on the edge of this return back towards a more personal internet, a more personal computing wave. And, but instead of it being just kind of a word processor, you're actually going to see some major networking tools and even some major financial tools become more accessible on a local level with you being able to run them yourselves. And so with Bitcoin infrastructure, with DeFi and programmable money infrastructure, you know, if the you, you don't have to worry about a an outside bank, uh, their website going down and you not being able to send a wire or not being able to check your balances or not being able to make payments or not being able to execute a loan agreement. Right. Um, you don't have to worry about that because you will be running uh, chunks of your own infrastructure and you may have, yeah, you may have pieces that go down, you know, every once in a while, but ultimately I think we get to a more resilient system by having at least parts of this also running locally with the companies, with the offices, with the personal homes of a lot of individuals. 
Um, and so I, I think we're just seeing all of this come together in a, a new kind of personal computing wave um, and with more local ownership, local validation. So for us, what that looks like, and, and I'll say too, I'll say too that like, you know, we're, we're leading a charge here, but, but we're not the only ones making big moves. We've now seen Facebook is building their own coin. So you have Facebook coin, um, there's JP Morgan coin, right? So even though Jamie Dimon was, was kind of sitting contrary to Bitcoin, they've made their own coin. And I, and I will say that I, I, am, I am bullish about both of those companies. Uh, a lot of people in our industry are, have criticized those moves, but I am bullish because I think that, that there's, there's so much to be built here. It's not going to come from just one company. Um, you know, JP Morgan uh, really, it seems, you know, built that actually to unite a bunch of individual pieces of, of their company and be, make it tradable amongst their company and make it easier internally. It wasn't even about kind of external partners, uh, you know, from what I've read. And, and, and so it, it's not that they're trying to compete directly with Bitcoin. It's, it, this is an indicator that we're going to see just like the early days of the internet to where we saw, you know, you had your AOLs and you had your kind of local website builders, but eventually everyone had an entire division of their company that was building and thinking about the internet and how they could best use it, uh, how, you know, what they could best build on it and how they could best serve their customers. We're going to see a similar thing in this space. Right. And so for us, what that looks like is we have two main products. We have the key master product that enables you to manage keys, um, enables you to manage your funds, enables you to, uh, and we have a service layer wrapped around that that feels like a private bank. And then we have the node, which is a computing platform. So this is uh, the Casa node that allows you to run Bitcoin and Lightning um, and it allows you to, um, you know, to execute transactions and to support the network. You're also supporting the network, right? You're also actually sending other Bitcoin blocks around the network, even when you're not using it. Um, it's a peer-to-peer -peer network. And so that strengthens the overall network. And, um, and, you know, for us, what it looks like in practice on a large scale is we, we describe the idea of a key manager in every pocket and node in every home. We think about when, when Apple or when Microsoft used to describe, hey, we're building a desktop computer and we want a desktop computer uh, on every desk and we want it running Microsoft Windows. You know, we, we're, our goal is to make it so easy that everyone on the planet can have a key manager and they can manage these keys that give them access to their wealth and their data. And then they can also have a CASA node that's in their home or in their office. And they're able to run that and they're able to run their own infrastructure. And they, again, they get more control over their life and over their data as a result, and we can kind of reduce some of the problems that are arising around these advertising networks, around abuses of data and data sharing and that kind of thing. Right. So before we get to signal to noise, um, and we call it our lightning round, which <laughs> talking to someone who is supporting lightning, I find is almost uh, comical because it's really. <laughs> nice, I don't know. If, nice. I don't think. I don't, I don't think we took it from you guys, but it just. It just. It just seemed to work that way. You know, talking about Lightning, um, the LN Trust Chain, which was a, what I would call it, kind of a grassroots effort on social media. And so for those that don't know, effectively people were able to, it started about three or four months ago, Jeremy, correct me if I'm wrong on that, but it started with people effectively using Lightning to send Satoshis, which are fractional pieces of Bitcoin, basically. And so you started seeing people you know, providing their their key so you could send it to and from. And if you saw this thing on social media, this thing went all over the world. It hit places like Iran um, and it hit places where, you know, financial inclusion and, and kind of the financial markets have not been able to really affect very well. And it really it was really a really interesting um, kind of social experiment. Um, and so 
you know, I'm kind of curious just to hear your thoughts on that. It's it's kind of slowed down over the last few weeks, but it went really it was it caused a lot of buzz and it caused a lot of people to take a serious look at it because it was working. It even went to Fidelity Digital Services, you know, at right. a point in time. Right. Um, this thing went lots of different places. So what did you what were you guys thinking about it? What did you guys what were you guys talking about when that happened? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it was a phenomenal display of this, you know, how how this is a revolution, how it's going to change things, the community around it. We saw, you know, in the early days of personal computing, in the early days of the internet, we saw a similar buzz, right? We saw a similar level of excitement from these enthusiasts that were building things and driving things forward. They were doing things without, you know, without effectively without permission, right? Like no one told them to do this. They just started doing it and it became a big wave. And and so it's it's just really strong signal there and really strong sign uh, about the energy around this space and and where things can go. But so what what you know the two things I'll highlight about Lightning uh, Trust Chain uh, and this Lightning Torch is it was first off it was started by someone that is totally pseudonymous, right? They, it's I think Hodlnot is the name, um, but the 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 image of this person on uh, Twitter where this started is a uh, is a cat. It's like a cat in a in a uh, spacesuit, um, and so this you know this revolution this this you know which, which across two months got a ton of press and really broke a lot of barriers and displayed the technology started from again from a from a source that didn't have a ton of credibility themselves, but the 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 kind of and what that indicates to you is that it really was the core idea that had the weight right and that caught on itself and really drove itself and that's a really good signal and I I think that um. That you know, as it grew, we saw more and more people getting involved. It went to you know, I, I think it was something like a hundred plus countries. Went to Iran, went to um, uh, you know, all over the world. Uh, it went to Jack Dorsey. That was a big one. So Jack Dorsey, uh, the CEO of Twitter and Square, got a hold of it. He's been making his own moves, kind of in this space, and right. um, he ended up eventually getting a Casa node. And and we were we were shocked by you know how in depth he got into. He he kind of tweeted out his whole setup. Mm -hmm. And um, so it just brought in, it brought in a lot of people that we otherwise would not have seen. Um, and, uh, and, and to show the kind of power of, because one of the things about Lightning is that it's, uh, you know, almost zero fee. So you can send these transactions around the world, total peer-to-peer -peer network, and you can do it at, at almost a zero fee. And, that's right. um, and that's really going to change a lot of things compared to the existing kind of payments rails that we have globally to where you have, you know, there are significant fees. Um, but yeah, I, I think that overall, it's, it's, it's a huge boon to the, to the community. It shows how fast. And if you think about how long it would have taken to send a similar number of 200, 300 plus transactions between all these countries and dealing with local regulations, et cetera, I mean, it, it would have just been a, a massive headache deal with and, and the cost, uh, transaction fees, et cetera. So it's really signaling something about, about where this whole network can go. I agree. It was a really, as I said, as watching it from the outside, you know, I wish I could have held the torch. I, uh, <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe it's still going on. Maybe I can do that one of these days because it was a really, as I said, a very special social, uh, experience, uh, that you were able to witness. And so, um, Digging into signal to noise, this is again a lightning round. Uh, just a few news items to talk about today, and then all you sure. need to do is either say signal 
or noise. You can opine a little bit if you want, um, yeah. but there's no gotchas here. And, you know, it's basically just some of the things that have happened recently. So one of the things that happened over the last day or so is it's stipulated that PayPal is de- trialing a decentralized data ownership blockchain investment. So they apparently have invested in a company project called Cambridge Blockchain um, where they're hoping to explore the promise of enhanced data privacy and management. So I think it's, I personally think this is an interesting one. So we talked about uh, PayPal and Venmo and about sending money. So if you're seeing PayPal coming into this, doing that, what do you think? Is that a signal or a noise? Um, so I will, I will say that, that my take on a lot of these is going to be that there's just so much nuance. So I'll, I'll, I'll sometimes have two part answers. And this one I'll say is like a little bit of a two part answer. It's, it's noise in the sense that, you know, what they're building on is it's, it's still very early, uh, but it's strong signal and that it's showing PayPal's comfort with making investments and talking about this world publicly. Right. And so I, I'll, I'll say the real signal is going to be is going to come from when PayPal starts doing things with Bitcoin and Lightning and doing that openly. Um, but but you know it is a move in the right direction. So you can also yeah obviously like Square has been supporting you know Bitcoin with Cash App. So you would think you know PayPal would probably start to do that. He would hope, but you know at the same time we and, can all support Square. Too, I mean Square Square launched this kind of went under the radar, but Square launched a whole That's division. Right. Yeah. Uh, they this this went totally under the radar, but Square Crypto, totally new brand, totally new division, and it went so under the radar. Mm-hmm. But it's there; it's growing fast. So this this market, and with especially Facebook Coin, you know, this market is going to move really fast. That's right. And another one. Um, so in terms of centralized exchanges, and we talked about not your, you know, not your keys, not your bitcoins. I think that kind of falls into this one. So. Apparently, over the last few days, BitThumb, one of the exchanges, got hacked. And so the total stolen amount of crypto from exchanges tops $1.3 billion. And so I'm curious, you know, obviously, you know, I think, you know, you you building costs to address, you know, obviously the not your keys, not your Bitcoin. So what do you think? Is this, you know, something that is a signal that we need to actually start taking things a little bit more seriously about our key management? Or do you think it's more just noise? I, I think it's signal that we need to continue to take more key management. I think it's noise in the sense that it's 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 just another instance of the same pattern that we've seen. So we've right. seen exchanges over and over again. There was Quadriga earlier this year. Yep. Um, there are some exchanges that are more that that have tighter security and are are better to work with. Um, it's not all exchanges, but it is true that every exchange has this weakness, and so that's why we're building under this kind of not your keys, not your Bitcoin model. And we're trying to enable individuals and family offices and you know small teams to really control their keys because they can. They now can. Certain larger institutions are are blocked from doing that even by regulation, and so there are special tools that are being built for them now. Um, but especially around individuals, you legally can hold your keys and you legally can operate this, and you can do it in a secure and safe way. And we're building tools for that. So it is you know it is signal towards like it's just another. We're going to see more of these. This is not the last one. All right. And so the fun part of our show now, diving into getting to know Jeremy a little bit more on a personal level. So we we talk to our guests about what they're reading and also what they're listening to. Um, reading is obviously, I'm sure you're reading, you know, technical things and things on, you know, kind of 
economy and history and you know, things of that nature. Everyone in crypto was very well read, but obviously, you know, I'm hoping that you get some time to read some things that are more fun. And so I'd love to kind of get a sense of what you've been reading over the last few months and things that might be sticking out to you. And then in terms of music, um, I, I, as I've said many, many times on the show before, um, I think music is a real signal of someone's personality and kind of how they might unwind or how they might be kind of focusing what they're listening to, what's going through their eardrums and kind of why they might be traveling or they might be doing some work. So on a on, on those two different ones, what have you been reading in the last few months that stick out to you and what are you listening to? Uh, sure. So reading, uh, there are two books that have been kind of in cycle. Um, one is the, so Energy and Civilization, the History it's Vaclav Smil, I think, is the, the author. Hmm. Um, but it's just interesting perspective on thinking about how civilization responds to, to different types of energy growth and energy technology, resources, resource extraction. Uh, really interesting book. Wow. I've also been rereading. Uh, there's a book that I actually give out quite a bit. It's thousand, A Thousand Years of Nonlinear History, and that's by DeLanda. And it really is, is looking at things from a systems theory view and thinking of... Um, thinking of the world from a systems theory view and just comparing different types of systems, biological systems, economic systems. Um, and it, it's always, I, I read this one once every few years just because it, it always breaks. Uh, uh, I, I think we get in these longer narrative, um, longer narratives instead of thinking of, of things purely as kind of just systems and how they might evolve and change. And so it's, it's always a, an interesting read, but I'm rereading that. Um, yeah, those are my, those are my two reads. Mm-hmm. So, and then on the music side, you want me to comment on the music side? So I, I'm a I'm a big metalhead. Um, really? I actually played, yeah, I actually played in a metal band uh, for a little while in New York, and I played in wow. kind of, um, punk bands and rock bands uh, growing up in high school. And um, you know, it's I, I, it's been a while since I've actually played in any band, but I still love to play. I play guitar, and and um, I am a I'm a big metalhead. I I, I love uh, everything going back from you know, Iron Maiden and, and the kind of classic rock stuff, um, up to kind of more, more modern, uh, metal, but huh. I, I won't, I, I don't, I don't know if I'll give out any recommendations there. Um, <laughs> just because there's a band called uh, there, or I'll give you one. There's a band Dad. called, um, currents that has a, that has a really, uh, really good new album out that I've been listening to a lot. And, um, but yeah, there's, there's, you know, it's, it's one of those areas that I, I view it as like from a technical view, it is very close. It's kind of modern classical music to me. The technical complexity is just, and as a musician, it's unreal what, what these guys can uh, and gals can can put together um, and just some, some really cool bands that are, are putting out some interesting stuff right now. Okay, so you take the, 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 you take the, the key for uh, the first person on bass player to talk about metal. Everyone has nice. talked about yeah. Everyone has talked about EDM and classical, and there's been some you know kind of kind of rock and but not metal. And that that that's you yeah. just set you just set a new bar there, Jeremy. Nice. So that, that's nice. that's that's pretty cool. Um, finally, just uh, in terms of people reaching out to you or finding more about Casa, we'd like to give you guys a second to kind of. If there's any place that you can that people, listeners, the family offices, high net worth, institutional investors that listen to the show, is there any place that people can find out more about you guys? Um, so feel free to you know ping them on that right now. Yeah, so you can go to uh, our website is keys.casa, k-e-y-s.casa, c-a-s-a, our name. 
Um, you can learn a lot more there. We have details on Keymaster and how that works and the security features there. We also have details on the node itself, the, the device. Um, it's easy to sign up there. Um, and we the, 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 the node itself is part of what's called a gold package. It has some really basic key management. And um, that's around $300. And then our, our most premium offerings are at $1,800 and $5,000 for the more team management features. Um, and that's for the premium, what's called the Key Shield. It's a multi-sig, three of five. Uh, but you can go to keys.casa to learn more. You can also email me directly. So I'm at Jeremy, J-E-R-E-M-Y, at team.casa, T-E-A-M dot C-A-S-A. Um, and feel free to reach out to me anytime. I'm also on Twitter. We have, you know, a Casa, a Casa, Twitter account that you can search for. And then also my, you know, my name, Jeremy R. Welch. Um, I'm on Twitter. DMs are wide open. Uh, we actually, funnily enough, we get a lot of inbounds. We've had inbounds from on Twitter from people that, again, were kind of totally pseudonymous accounts um, that, uh, you know, just from Twitter, there's a lot of, there's a lot of crypto Twitter just generally. So uh, Twitter has been a big, a big channel for us. Uh, but you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on the website. And uh, yeah, reach out. Let, let me know awesome. what questions you have. We are always happy to support and, and answer questions. Awesome. And as I said before, go get a node. You know, you really, the way that I started thinking about things a few months back is that you need to actually start using some of the appliances and the platforms and the products that people are building these days because that's the greatest way to actually understand the evolution of this whole ecosystem, this whole asset class. So go get a node. Go talk to the team at Casa. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us on Base Layer. It was a pleasure, and we'll have you back on soon. Take care. Awesome. Thanks, David. Take care. Base Layer. Base Layer. Base Layer.